You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. We're going to be in Matthew's Gospel today. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. If you don't have a Bible, there should be um, an ESV story version Bible in the prayer room. You can grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. You can take that home today. We want you to be following along with us as we study the Word of God. So this is Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Dave. We are continuing in a, a sort of a series in a series of talking about uh, relationships and really focusing on those relationships we have outside of the church and in particular how we might have relationship with people who are unbelievers, those people who are uh, sinners, all right? Um, and we believe that Jesus was called, you know, that was a part of his, his work to, to sort of infiltrate the world of sinners. I mean, he came to the earth, all right, uh, and he came on mission. Um, and the interesting thing, though, is that the Pharisees uh, begin to accuse Jesus, all right? They begin to make accusation against him uh, in the way that he was living out his mission, and in particular, that he was hanging around with people that were a bit unsavory. Their reputation was less than perfect, if you will, all right? And the passage that Pastor Dave read to you today, a little bit different than the passage we read last week, but the same kind of dynamic is going on, but this is when Matthew is being called, and uh, as, he, as Jesus calls him, he's, he's a tax collector, and Jesus says, hey, come, come and follow me. Come and be with me. Come and work with me on this mission uh, of mine. And the scripture says that Matthew completely just dropped everything and followed him. And we find that Jesus is at Matthew's place, all right? And there they're having a meal together. And this is something we pointed out last Sunday is that oftentimes when Jesus is hanging around people who are not Christians, he's doing this in the context of a meal, a place of sitting down together and eating. So it's not like a, uh, a real uh, like passing in the dark kind of a thing or a hit and miss kind of a thing where he runs into somebody at the grocery store or uh, just quick at the end of paying his, his tab just, just says hello and how are you and God bless you and then walks out thinking that God bless you was the spiritual moment. You know, um, He actually was intentional about the way that he hung around with people who were considered sinful people. And when we use this term sinner here, uh, we're not talking about a nice, clean person who tells a white lie once in a while or maybe uh, fudged on their income tax just a little bit on one thing. But we're talking about people who are oftentimes put into the category or the group of the culture of people where there are people like people drunk, people who are 
Pharisees uh, were really critical of the, the drunkard and the prostitute. Uh, so a lot of those religious people were kind of pointing this out and saying, hey, do, do you understand that your guy there, this Jesus, is like he's hanging with these people, you know? He's not just like passing through and looking at them and making an assumption or a judgment, but he literally is like he's sitting at the table with them. Like he's eating with them, you know? And so there seems to be this, this pointing, if you will, that's going on. Now, of course, we understand the Pharisees also to be sinners as well, but they didn't view themselves as such. And it's a little bit ironic here, isn't it, that, that the one, this, this Jesus, who they accused of sin by association, is the only sinless person who has ever walked the face of the earth. And so we see this kind of thing going on, and Jesus is in the midst of this seemingly okay with it. Like, he seems to be okay with the fact that the Pharisees are bringing these accusations. It doesn't seem to be rattling his cage. He doesn't seem to be upset by what other people are thinking. Let me just inject something here. How often have you, even in just talking to an unbeliever, been awfully concerned about what that person or other people around them are actually thinking about you, to the point even that it muddles up your ability to be friends with them in a way that you can share the gospel with them? We oftentimes find ourselves in some of those kinds of places. And I want to, again, challenge us today that we really think about what Jesus did and that we not live out of what someone thinks about us or accuses us of, all right? But we also clarify the purpose and the drive behind why Jesus befriended these people in the beginning, all right? Because I think that Jesus' purpose in befriending sinners was not to join with them in their sin by any means, and I'm certainly not advocating that to any of us today, all right? But it was to save them from their sin. It was to offer them another option. It was offering them something way more purposeful and way more powerful and way more liberating than anything they could find in associating with others on the face of the earth. Christ didn't come to the earth, folks, to indulge in sin, but he came to the earth to call sinners to repentance. And that needs to be our position, all right? And in order to do that, Jesus Christ, who is very God, humbled himself as a servant he took on flesh, human flesh, so that he could both sympathize with our weaknesses and die for our sins. And this is the amazing piece of Jesus. This is the story that we want to tell, if you will, all right? So, so to, to be a sinner is to be in a dangerous predicament. Sinners are born under the curse, under condemnation that follows from failing to fulfill the law. In order to save sinners, Jesus fulfilled the law of God through perfect obedience to his Father. He became the sacrifice. He was sacrificed on the cross. That sacrifice was specifically to pay the penalty for the sin that had been incurred by all of us. Christ did for you and I what we could not do for ourselves. And so we have to believe that this is the greatest act of love that has ever been done, ever been accomplished. And we are now able to be saved from death and from hell. He laid down his life, the Bible says, for his friends. 
There is no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. If one of you are in sin, we encourage all the rest of you as covenant members in particular, but you should be doing this just as a believer, is that you go to one another, that you go to one another for the purpose of calling each other to repentance. You go to each other and you talk about sin. You talk about where you are. And, and, and you call each other to come back, all right? Let's draw back to the Lord. Let's draw back into right relationship. And we're always saying from the pulpit that the motive of this is love. This isn't judging. This isn't pointing fingers. This isn't us trying to make ourselves more superior than someone else in the body. But the greatest act of love that any one of us can share with another is not taking you out and buying you a cheeseburger, it's taking you out and over a cheeseburger saying, hey, we need to talk about this. And this is the same motive that needs to be in our heart when we talk about becoming friends with sinners. That we find ways and opportunities and abilities to go into a life, to enter into someone else's life, and there in some way be able to sit down them and with a heart that is genuine as it possibly can be, share with them this great message of hope that they can have through Jesus Christ. Jesus' friendship doesn't end at Calvary. Jesus not only died for us, but he gives us this newness of life uh, that we read about in 2 Corinthians. He's risen from the dead so that we too might be resurrected and that we might receive a glorified body just like him, all right? On the day that he returns, we will be like him. All right? This is a wonderful message. This is wonderful news. But listen, he's also sent his, his Holy Spirit to be our guide, to be our teacher, to be our comforter, to be our advocate, our aid, our strength, um, to be the empowerment of what we're able to do for him. All of these are powerful things that work within our lives. He's given us his word that we have a, a guide, if you will, and that the Spirit can illuminate for us in our hearts so that we can be changed, our minds can understand, and, and we can live out of the truth that God has for all of us, all right? So there are precious promises that God has given us, and we hold on to those. And the intent of God is that you and I are the, the voice of those promises, that you and I are speaking forth this great truth, this great love of Jesus, and the end is he's gone to prepare a place for us, and he's coming again. What a friend. What a great friend we have in Jesus, all right? And we sing about that. But God intends us to do more than sing about that and be comforted by that. We actually need to understand that he has called us into this world, not to be like the world. And this is what I want you to understand today in this part of the message is that in no way was Jesus trying to be like sinners. In no way was he taking a casual approach to the sins of anyone that he hung around with. He became a friend to sinners, but he did not become a sinner. All right? He became a friend to sinners, but he did not live like the sinners lived. And the reality is that he was on mission. In all of these moments when he encountered sinful people and called them out, talked to them cared about them, loved on them, tried to help them, tried to heal them, all of these things. He's doing all of this stuff that he did and that we are supposed to be about doing. All of that time, he was loving them. 
He was caring about them and loving them deeply in that place. And yet never once did he compromise the real truth that you can't go on in this dynamic you're in, this, this sinful place that you're in. You can't go on in this and follow me. And I'm calling you to follow me. And this is what we're supposed to do as we reach out to those people around us in whatever sphere of influence we have is that we're to say, hey, I want you to follow me. I, I want to offer you this wonderful opportunity to follow Jesus, and you can do that if you follow me. If you and I are living like sinners, we have nothing to offer because we have nothing for them to follow. They're already living in their pursuit of their own idols. All right? So you and I have to live a life that is different. So when I tell you that you are to be a friend of sinners, I'm not telling you that you get to go to the bar and hang around with everybody in the bar and start acting like them. All right? And, and, and hear me out. I'm not opposed to you going to the bar. A few of you maybe could go a little more often. <laughs> There's some nice patios here in town. All right? Just sit in the patio. Go, go where they are. Go where these people are living and where they think they're flourishing. Please, please understand what I'm trying to say to you. I, I, there is a humorous component to this, but there are many other places where there are sinners. An amazing place is the library. Don't, don't raise your hand, but when's the last time some of you have been in a library? Well, it was probably high school or college days. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Jeannie Omlin goes every day. All right. Yeah. I, I think Christina might go every day. I don't know. I just got a hunch that Christina's in that library. I mean, she's recommended libraries to some people. I say, I'm going to Brazil. I'm going to, to Washington, D.C. I'm going to New York City. People say, oh, you need to see this and you need to see that. And Christina tells me, there is a marvelous library in New York City. You got to see it. <laughs> and, and she's right. You know, but, but there are these places that are like unexpected surprises where you might encounter someone who is an unbeliever and you have a marvelous ability and opportunity put together to speak into their lives. All right? Now, I know last Sunday I really unsettled a lot of you. All right? It felt really uncomfortable as you was leaving, and, and I hope the little video I did kind of helped soothe some of that down just a little bit. Yeah, the enemy's trying to get in there and condemn us and make us feel bad and make us feel like, oh, I'm not serving God and I, I, I'm a wretch and all that. Forget all that stuff. Stop even listening to that, okay? Live where you are in this moment with God and let God use you right where you are. And I'm promising you, if you open your heart to love sinners as Jesus loved them and to be a friend to them as Jesus was a friend to them, God will give you amazing opportunities to do exactly that. And that's where God wants you. That's where God wants me. And I'm hoping that as we go along here, we're going to end up with some real great testimonies and stories about walking along with someone who is not a believer and letting, letting the rest of us in on your story of how God is using you to do that. Let me walk you quick through some of these encounters with Jesus. All right, now, we already know he's a friend of sinners. We, all, we know that he, he drew the ire of the, of the scribes and the Pharisees. He really upset them. And, and of course, they're looking for anything they can to point you know, at Jesus and kind of disqualify him in, in some way. But this is one of the things they said about him. They said he's a glutton. 
Not, not he's a glutton, but he's with these people who are gluttons and, and, and they're drunkards and, and they're tax collectors. And we talked a little bit last week about how that's such a derogatory thing, this thing of a tax collector, all right? Um, and, and, and then he says, and he's a friend of sinners, all right? So, so we know that this, this accusation was coming. I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. Yeah, the accusation came and this is why it came. But I want you to understand that in the midst of the, of the accusation, Jesus didn't spend time trying to, to explain it or defend himself or in some way get out of that accusation. He let it go in essence. He gave a good explanation. Hey, I, I'm not, I, I'm, I didn't come for the saved. I came for the sinner. Like I'm on mission. I can't. A well person doesn't need the physician. The sick person needs the physician. He's trying to help them to understand, hey, look, look at this. Think about this. And then look at what I'm doing. So he gave explanation, but he didn't spend a lot of time fretting and worrying over what all these people were saying about him and how to, how to fix that or get out of that or make it right. So there wasn't a lot of like PR work to try to reestablish his image, all right? So he didn't really care about image work. He had come, as the Bible says, to be a servant, and so he humbled himself, emptying himself out, taking on this nature, this form of a servant, so that he could be a friend to sinners. My question to you is, what have you put on you that would keep you from being able to be friend to an unbeliever? What in your life have you put on yourself in terms of image, reputation, lifestyle, whatever, comfort, what is there that would hold you back from being able to extend yourself to be the hands and the voice of Jesus into the life of an unbeliever? Our text. This is the story of Jesus calling Matthew. He's this tax collector. He calls him to actually be a disciple. All right? So this is amazing right here. Jesus, in the midst of this world system that is around him, this system of Tax collectors are bad, and we can't, you know, touch the tax collector, and the tax collector can't touch us, and so the tax collector is over there with the drunk and with the prostitute and all of that. Jesus looks at a tax collector and says, hey, I want you to come and do this ministry with me. I, I want you to be right beside me in what I'm doing, and so I'm calling you out of this identity that culture and society and all of this has put on you, and I'm saying, I'm going to give you a new identity, and I'm going to call you into this work with me. I trust you to do this work with me as I model to you and as I work with you and as you grow and mature, you're going to be a great disciple. That, there was something amazing about that moment, and I think some of it was very much miraculous and very spiritual, but I think there was just something about it, too, that was just just downright affirming, you know? And I'm going to tell you what, when some of you, your love language is time. Like, you just love having somebody around you, you know, like present to you. You love that, that especially one-on-one. -on -one. You love that time. Um, and I think there's a lot of people who have been, like, in some way spoken to or called out or, or labeled in some way where they feel as though they are not acceptable or they're not 
worthy or they don't have value. And when someone comes along and stands by them and stands present to them and interacts with them, there's an amazing message going on right then of, oh my goodness, this person actually can care about me. This person actually is like okay being by me, all right? This, this is no reflection on you, Jim, okay? <laughs> but there's, there's, there's something very affirming in that moment that says, oh, my goodness, I have value. Listen, that's the doorway in, don't you see? Jesus came and died for that person. Jesus paid the ultimate price for that person. Jesus put the value on that person. And what you're saying is, let's start getting this value system right. Let's begin with a little affirmation here, and let me just say, I value you enough to spend a few minutes with you to get to know you, and then begin a conversation, and maybe begin more conversations, all right? So we start the process somewhere because there's an open door that the Holy Spirit gives to us. But Jesus, is, he goes right to Matthew's table and sits down. And they're having an evening together with fellowship with others there. Uh, because it says in that passage, there was many who followed him. And you don't see from the scriptures a whole lot that would indicate that all these people following Jesus are very wealthy, elite, wonderful people. They are these people who have been broken in some aspect of their life. And in that brokenness, they have fallen in some way into desperate places and dark places. And Jesus comes to shed light into those places and to call them up out of those places and bring freedom and liberty into their lives. And that's what God is calling you and I to. So the scribes and the Pharisees, who wouldn't touch one of those people for all the money in the temple, all right, they are obviously feeling something going on, and so they have to... They have the need to at least point fingers at Jesus and say, look at him. Look at what he's doing. He's just hanging around with the dirty and, and the downcast and the broken and the despicable and the marginal and all that kind of stuff out there. And so they grumble. And Jesus tells them, hey, I, I, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners. This is my role. This is what I do. This is, what I, this is my heart. Another question for us. When was the last time your heart was really towards a sinful person? Like you hurt for them because you knew that if they didn't change, they would go into utter destruction. When, when's the last time that you felt that kind of like, oh. I remember when I was younger and I'd just gotten saved, and I don't know why, and part of it was the enemy, but I think part of it was just the goodness of God that I was enjoying and the, the, the revelation of how wretched I was in my state of drugs and alcohol and, and, and bondage uh, to be set free from that. And I was just like, I was just so excited about all of that. And in the midst of that, a friend of mine who wasn't a Christian, and I had not gotten the time to really talk to him. I'd been around him a, a few times, but hadn't really talked to him um, about the Lord. And um, he was uh, just awful car accident with, a, with a, a Honda motorcycle. He was on the motorcycle, died instantly. And I remember crying so hard and not being, I mean, upsetting my family because I was, I was beside myself. It was like, he's lost. Like, like, I was like, don't you all understand this? He, he's gone. He's lost. And, and 
here was the consolation from a Christ, an older Christian, a sagely Christian. Bless his heart. Well, there's nothing you can do about that now. So let's go after those who are still living. And I'm like, you don't understand. I had moments. There were places where I didn't speak to him. And it took a while for me to like get beyond that and actually forgive myself and, and, and really receive the comfort and the grace of God in, in that moment, you know. But there was something about that moment that stuck with me. And it's like, God, don't ever let me lose the desire to see someone come to you. And when I'm around lost people, don't let me just look at them. Don't let me dismiss them. Even if I don't say anything yet, put, put, keep the, fuel the fire, keep the burden in my heart so that I don't let it go. You know, I, I need to see them the way you see them. I need to have the heart that you have. Jesus says, I came for the sinner. You know what? You're not saved for you. You're saved for the sinner. You're saved to be Jesus and to go in there. Further over in Matthew 11, Jesus actually rebukes the people. He calls them the people of this generation. He's talking about the people around him, the culture that is around them. And the reason he rebukes them is because they rejected John the Baptist for being too tight, and then they rejected him for being too loose. And it's like, you can't win, you know. And, um, but it's in that incident where we hear this phrase, friend of sinners. And I, I, I don't want you to forget, this was an insult that was being heaped on him by his enemies. But that doesn't mean that Christ didn't own it. Like Christ owned this reality that he came to be a friend of sinners. And he lived out of that, uh, of that identity. He he. He was not a glutton. He was not a drunkard. He was not a prostitute. And, and, and even though his opponents claimed all of these things as guilty by association, he still was comfortable being called the friend of a sinner. I'm not telling you go sit in a patio at a, at a bar with someone so that you can just be another drunk in the crowd and that, that, that you're going in that direction. I'm actually taking a huge risk here. And you know what? I'm actually saying to you, I trust you enough and believe in you enough and believe in your faith that you have enough that you can hang around with sinners and not be tarnished by that. That you can actually hold your own. That you can actually stand. That when you've done everything to stand, you stand. And in that place, you're capable of sharing your faith with others. I believe in you, Life Church, that we can do this. Life Church can live this way. We can be a church that is a friend of sinners. All right? And we don't have to be afraid of being tarnished. We don't have to be afraid of being defiled. We don't have to be afraid of something jumping on us. Please, don't ever use that term with me, okay? <laughs> I know that the enemy can jump on us, okay? But listen, Jesus is greater than he who is in this world. Jesus has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Jesus has come, and he has destroyed all of that mess. And he has taken power over death and hell itself. He is the resurrected Savior who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He has positioned you as sons and daughters in his kingdom already on this earth. And he has given you the Holy Spirit to empower you. And that Spirit has come in order that you may be witnesses of Jesus Christ in the earth. So go and make disciples. All right, let's get out there in this world, out there. Not be like the world, but be in the world where Jesus was 
and where he exampled it to us. And there in that place, serve God faithfully by being a voice to those around you. I'm going to try to close here. I, I promised in the video that I did this week um, that crazy little video that some of you watched, okay, um, encouraging you to come on back in here. And I've made you a promise. I promised you that I'd give you three tips to help you be a friend of sinners. And that's what I want to do. I want to kind of close with that and then just give us a minute for the Holy Spirit to really work something in our hearts, okay? Um, but this is a pretty precise phrase in the Scriptures, friend of sinners. It's actually mentioned twice in, in the Gospels, friend of sinners. And uh, I know that the naysayers of the day, the Pharisees and, and, and such, they were really the religious aristocracy. They were those people who were better than everyone else, they thought, and that they were out to criticize Jesus in so many ways. Um, but they were, they were saying he's doing this by a, so, because he's hanging around with these people, he's like these people. You know, and trying to, to di discourage uh, what he was doing, all right? Um, and and I, I want you to take on the same, like, mission that Jesus took on. And when those accusations came to him, he said, I've not come to call the righteous, but I've, I've, I've come to call the sinners to repentance. And that's what I want you to see happening here. This gospel that we have been given is amazing. And inside of that gospel, we are called to ask people to step out of the life that they're living and to step into the life that they have in Christ. And, and sometimes that requires forsaking. That requires turning around. That requires repenting, if you will. And Jesus says, this is a part of what we do. All right? And so I want to I start there and say, you have a responsibility not just to like someone or to hang out with someone. You have a responsibility to do that just a little bit and then get on mission. All right? And I have, I have no problem, and I want to encourage you in the same way, don't, don't have a problem with letting people know kind of up front as, as soon as possible, hey, I just want you to know I'm a Christian, and I share it, you know, like I live it, like this is my life, like I'm, I'm living this out, you know. And if there's still peace, if there's still an open door for them, go on in, man. Don't, don't like say that and then you get the, the, the green light and then go, oh yeah, that's great, you know, and then you walk away from it, you know. Like let's, let's seize the moment. Let's, let's identify the opportunities. Let's be discerning about what the Spirit is doing in these relationships that we have. Okay, let me give you three things to think about and we'll end today. First tip. Be okay with the marginal. In the examples of Jesus and to be like him, we need to be all right with marginal, all the way around, okay? Uh, be okay with associating with the marginal, the poor, the destitute, the disenfranchised, all right? Those that are often overlooked in society in some way or some fashion. Don't be afraid to hang out with people like that a little bit. I'm not saying they're going to become your best friend or that they even should. I'm simply saying, would you make yourself available? Would you be willing to let God work in your heart? Let me tell you a quick story. I was, I was driving down Minnesota Avenue and I looked to the left, and there was a building there that was vacant on the left side uh, near 41st in, in Minnesota. And as I'm driving by, I see this man, and he's kind of sitting in the doorway of that building. This was an early morning, and he looked very much homeless. He looked very much dejected and, and very uh, sort of dirty, like not clean. And I felt a little bit of a, of a, just a little bit of an urge, you know, like a prompting, like stop and just tell him about Jesus. 
And I'm like, oh, you know. And I was in the wrong lane to be able to do that. I didn't get in the lane to be able to do that. I stayed in my lane uh, because I was turning the other way. And I turned, you know, and as I turned, I felt it a little bit more, enough that I pulled in. It, it wasn't the big GMC parking lot at that time, you know, but I, I just, I pulled in, pulled back around and went by. And I looked over and he was still sitting there and I was like, okay, what do I do? I took a deep breath and drove a little ways down, uh, turned on a side street, sat there for a moment and go, okay, what do I do? I really need to do some stuff. I need to be on my way. I'm just, I, I don't know. I'm just going to go. And then it was like, no, I, I've got to go and talk to this person. I pulled my car over, got it parked, got it locked, came around, went down, expecting to talk to this man, talking to myself all the way there, trying to encourage myself in the Lord uh, to do this. And as soon as I get there, I turn into the doorway, and he's not there. And I'm like, okay, God, what was that all about? You know, what, what just happened here? Like, I know I was hesitant, but if you wanted me to speak to him, then where is he? I'm, I'm, I'm looking around. He is nowhere to be around. And so maybe he's just a fast-moving homeless guy, okay? But here's the thing. The prompting that was most important that I felt the deepest that cut my heart was all I was asking was for you to be willing. Don't, don't worry about him in particular. I got him. And then I heard this, this from what I think was the Lord. He's mine. That was another moment of conviction because I had this, this mentality that if you're that disenfranchised, you probably don't know Jesus. Judging. Judging. That's called being a Pharisee. Just judging. All right? He's mine. I just want to know that your heart is willing. I'm going back repenting of the reality that I missed because my heart was not right, it was not ready, it was not prepared. And I'm saying to you, let's you and I get prepared. Let's don't wait for the moment to happen, and in the moment we miss it because we're ill-prepared, we haven't made a decision, we haven't died to ourselves. Jesus died before he ever got on the cross. He died in the garden when he said, nevertheless, Father, it's your will to be done here. He died there to himself, and you and I have to die to ourselves now, today, to be able to, to see this happen in our lives, all right? So be willing to be out there with marginal people. Don't worry about what people say about you, all right? They may say you're stupid. I, I've had people say that to me. They'll say you're closed-minded, you're narrow, you're judgmental, you're out of touch. That may be the case. I don't know, all right, what, they, what, what you've been through. But, but don't let that grab you. Don't let that hold you, all right? We need to share our convictions. We need to be open to listening. And our, our audience may dwindle, or dwindle down, all right? But, but our calling does not live and die by societal acceptance. If you're waiting for society to accept you, you will never fulfill God's call in your life. Second tip, aim to love, not be liked, all right? Aim to love, not be liked. If you do your life based on whether or not other people are going to like you, you will be a miserable believer your entire life. Jesus was not a fan favorite. 
He wasn't somebody that everybody was, was thinking, oh, look at him. He's the guy. He's the, he's the one. He's rocking it. No, actually, most of the world is not in that category of being a fan of Jesus Christ. Not the true Jesus, anyway. And so there is a sense where you and I have to be willing to, to disregard what is out there peripheral around us, and we've got to be willing to really look at what is our own motive, what is drawing us and driving us to be a follower of Christ. And if it's just to get comfortable and to be okay and to have insurance out of hell, something's wrong because there's so much more to this life than just getting off from your sin. And God is calling us into that place where we have a message for the crowd, even though the crowd may not adhere to it, all right? And if you think that you need to be well thought of by outsiders so that you can share the gospel, that is the biggest lie out of the pit of hell. Don't live there. Don't live in that place and believe that you've got to put up an image and a front and you've got to be the most successful and the best and that you've got to have the right car and, and the right clothes and all of these kinds of things because that is so not right. That is so very wrong. All right? We need to be willing to be humble men and women who lay down our own reputations so that we can follow Christ in all that we do. All right, go after loving people, not being liked by people. And the last thing is put the gospel to work. All right? And all of this that we're doing, there's one last message that we give to everyone. All right? We share Jesus. We help them to to receive Christ. We help them to come out of uh, their, their sin base. We, we help them to repent, all of that. But then there's one last message you give to them, all right? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. In other words, this is the long haul. We go all the way. We stay in it, all right? We make Jesus Lord of our lives because he has, he has done everything for us. And we live out of that lordship as we be friends with the world. The lordship of Jesus drives us. The lordship of Jesus commands us to go. And therefore, it drives our energy to do what we need to do. All right? And so we live out of that lordship. And out of that lordship, we can show mercy. We can show care. We can show Compassion, because our message becomes a relentless posture of servanthood and compassion and care and good news. And so we go in the spirit of Christ and we live out of that. And the truths that are in our lives, they touch those people and, the, and they work the kingdom of God out in our relationships that we have with one another. And when we, when we do that, we're walking in the steps of Jesus, all right? And so even though this world order tells us something totally different, some things have never changed. Ultimately, the greatest thing that has never changed is that Jesus is a friend of sinners. He wants you and I to be friends of sinners. He came to save sinners, and he is the only answer that a sinner has in this world for eternal life. And that's where we are. He has chosen you. And he has deposited you into the sphere of influence that you have in order that you might make a difference in those people's lives. Don't worry about what the world thinks. All right? Care deeply for those that Jesus cares about. And let's live that way. Amen?
Can I pray for you? I want to just, just pray over you here for a minute. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. And as I pray for you, I just want you to let the Holy Spirit, we'll take a minute and we'll let the Holy Spirit just speak to us in quiet and then we'll sing a song together, all right? As you're in the posture of prayer, just ask yourself a couple of questions here that are probing. What, what really is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now today? What are the names or the faces of people that the Holy Spirit is bringing in front of you even now? Who are, who are those people that God has spoken to you that you need to reach out to and be a friend to? And could you make a list and be accountable? Whoever the Holy Spirit is placing on your heart, would you be able to write those names down somewhere and be accountable to that list? First of all, to pray for them. Before we talk to someone about Jesus, we talk to Jesus about someone. Let's start there. And then we ask God for an open door, an opportunity to share and be a friend. Are you willing to live in the marginal? Are you willing to go in the spirit of love and not care about being liked by others? Are you willing to put the gospel to work in your life and see the fruit of your labor? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come in a powerful way and just probe, just, uh, just get into our lives here, God, for a few minutes. We thank you that you shed light in places where there is darkness and where there are shadows where there is confusion, where there is uncertainty, where there is fear, where there is doubt, even where there is unbelief. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come in a very powerful and wonderful way right now. Trinity, just do your work. Just do your work in here among us now. Help us that we can be men and women, boys and girls who are friends of sinners. And then show us how to work that out, Lord. Help us that we will genuinely let you, Holy Spirit, lead us and give us the strategies that we need so that we can do this good work. Make us disciples. Help us to grow and mature in this work. Give us hearts of compassion and willingness, God. Do this in Jesus' name. Now just let the Holy Spirit speak to you for just a minute. And then our worship team will call you to a song.